Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of God. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thank you, Kimberly and Colton. Um, A guy named Howard Pugh, uh, he was born in 1882. I just now realized that rhymed. Um, But anyway, he was a devout Presbyterian. Uh, And when he was young, his father started an oil company. And this oil company would become very successful. Uh, and one that Howard and his brother would eventually take over. And, uh, and with all this wealth they were able to accumulate over the years, they started the Pew Charitable Trust. Uh, and this would help to launch a lot of significant ministries. Uh, they helped start Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. Uh, some of you guys might know the name Tim Keller or Mark Dever. That's where they went to seminary. Uh, also, they worked with Billy Graham uh, to help start uh, the magazine Christianity Today. And so there was a lot of good things that they were, they were pushing out and pushing through uh, to, hap- to happen. But uh, as time went on, uh, you know, these guys passed away, leadership changes in the, in the trust, and they have drifted from their uh, original vision uh, to help fund Christian enterprises such as seminaries and, and things like that. Uh, and now they support organizations that Howard Pugh would have been vehemently opposed to. They are, they are a major supporter of Planned Parenthood, an organization that supports abortion. And, and this, this phenomenon of an organization or institution drifting from its original purpose is somewhat common. It's actually common enough that a book's actually written about not too long ago called Mission Drift. It's, called, it's Mission Drift, The Unspoken Crisis Facing Leaders, Charities, and Churches. So this kind of stuff happens a lot, and you're probably uh, pretty familiar with it. Uh, There's an Ivy League school, Princeton. Originally, that school was founded to train ministers. That would not be what the school is known for now. Uh, Universities like Dartmouth and Brown cut their ties to the Christian denominations they were with in order to receive a large grant from Andrew Carnegie, who required those ties to be cut in order for them to get the grant. Uh, But sometimes... Mission drift doesn't happen just because there's a new board or because people are selling out for money. Sometimes mission drift can happen because good things are happening, like it might be fast growth or like increased opportunities to serve or or make a difference. And, And this is what's happening in our text today. We read in Acts that there was no one in need among all the believers that day. 
And there was something really special going on in the church in Jerusalem. And so the apostles are preaching the gospel, people are converting, and there's not a needy person among them until there was. And, and the problem that arises is that they're, they're caring for widows, but as they're caring for widows, they're neglecting some. They're neglecting the, the Hellenists or the, or the Greek widows. So you had the Hebrew um, uh, widows and you had the Greek uh, widows and, and the Greek widows were being overlooked. And so Peter and the apostles are getting overwhelmed with all the work. They're beginning to experience mission drift. And, and this is kind of what Acts chapter six, verse one through seven is all about. So today I want to focus on two things. One, the ministry of the word is primary and two, the call to serve the church serves the word. All right, so first, the ministry of the word is primary. Now, to, to get this idea, let's back up uh, to the apostles' time with Jesus. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave them a specific task. And that specific task was to make disciples. Then when we're in Acts 1, we see that the, the closing moments of Jesus' time with the, with the uh, apostles, the disciples who became the apostles, and he tells them that they are to be witnesses of him. Jesus wants them to be witnesses of him. So, so their task is to make disciples by being witnesses of Jesus. <clears throat> in other words, they were to make followers of Jesus by teaching about Jesus. That's what they were told to do, and that is exactly what they did and it was going unbelievably well. At Pentecost, Peter preached the gospel, and 3,000 were added to their number. And we read that after that, day by day, more were being saved. And then not long after that, a man uh, born crippled is healed in the name of Jesus. That number jumps to 5,000. And in chapter 6, verse 1, we read that the number of disciples was steadily increasing. And look, it's not just that the apostles are preaching and people are converting. Now, that'd be good enough. What's happening as a result is this super sweet community is forming as a result of this preaching of the gospel. And they are looking after one another and caring for one another. And they are doing it in such a way that there's not a needy person among them. This is what we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So this preaching ministry that the apostles has was not just successful in making a crowd appear or getting people to make decisions for Christ. They were forming a group of people who were transformed and noticeably marked by their love and care for one another. And so when good Christ-centered preaching is saturated with prayer and landing on peoples whose hearts are being transformed by the Holy Spirit, really good things happen. And that's actually the best thing that can happen to a community because that's like inserting heaven, heaven on earth. So really good things are happening in Jerusalem. The church is growing like crazy. They are caring for one another really well. And the word of God, the gospel is going viral. Now, one of the ways they were caring for each other was by caring for the widows. But what Peter was beginning to find was that as he served more, he was preaching the gospel less. And even though he was working hard to serve the widows well, there were still widows who were being overlooked and underserved. So what should Peter do? 
Should he try harder? Should he step it up? You don't have to sleep, man. Trust the Lord for sleep. Don't sleep. Should he do that? Should he give up? I mean, he's doing a lot. I'd imagine he's putting in full days. And I, there has to be this, this thought of just good grief. Like, can't I make any of y'all happy? Like, I'm preaching, I'm serving, I'm doing all a man can do. And everybody's just still complaining. There's nothing more I can do. Well, listen to how he responds in chapter 6, verse 2 through 4. He says this. This is what Peter says. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So, so Peter knew that the primary calling he was been given, the task given to him specifically by Jesus was to make disciples and to be a witness of Jesus. In other words, to make followers of Jesus by teaching about Jesus. And as a result of him doing that, people were being blessed. And they weren't just blessed with the preaching, though they were, but they were also blessed by what came downstream of his preaching. And that was the formation of this caring community, the church that looked after people who were marginalized really, really well. And as people began to follow Jesus, they began, they began to do all kinds of great things like caring for those in need among them, especially the widows. But sometimes the greatest enemy of what's best is what's good. And the reason that these widows and others in need were being taken care, were being taken care of so well was because the people were being added to the church People were, were converting, and all these people were forming these caring communities. So look, there's this direct connection between Peter preaching the gospel, the church being formed and well-taught, and those in need being served. Because when Jesus redeems people, he gives them his spirit, the Holy Spirit, and that spirit in us has compassion. And when we see people in need and hurting, it bothers us, and we got to do something about it. And people who follow Jesus are by design and by nature, and I should say by new nature, zealous for good works, zealous to help others in need. But in order for that kind of community to exist, the word of God, the gospel, must be preached. But sometimes things can get upside down for us, right? Sometimes the the tail wags the dog, as they say. I'd imagine most parents have had the feeling at some point that the inmates are running the asylum, right? Like you're raising your kid, you're the authority. And then one day it's just like, I'm not so sure we're in charge anymore. I think the kids have taken over or a schedule's taken over or whatever it is. And, and, and this is what happens. And sometimes churches can become really effective at doing really good things. The things that the Bible calls us to do. But sometimes those really good things can begin to overshadow what is primary. And the ministry of the word, the word of God, the gospel begins to be kind of eclipsed by something good. And we can't let that happen. And, and look, that doesn't mean that the, that the church is a teaching only ministry, but it does mean that the church is primarily a teaching ministry because everything else flows from the teaching, from making disciples. And disciples of Jesus do awesome things like taking care of widows. And like you, you might even object and be like, you know, Kevin, I don't think teaching is, is primary. I think loving is primary. And I would just say, where'd you get the idea? 
got it from the word. And so even that idea begins with teaching. So Peter called the church to choose seven men to oversee this problem so that he and the apostles could devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Peter wasn't calling for more preaching and teaching and less serving. He was calling for more of both. So these seven men are called to ministry in such a way that even though it was not the ministry of the word, it served and increased the ministry of the word, which brings me to my second point. The call to serve the church serves the word. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I remember the first time I read it, I read it in college, somebody gave it to me. Uh, I just thought it was brilliant. Just uh, in case you don't know about it, the, the, here's the idea. Uh, Screwtape is a demon. He's an uncle. He has a nephew demon, Wormwood. And, uh, and there's 31 chapters. They're pretty short. It's pretty readable. It meant you can read it in a month, 31 days in a month, most of the time. And anyway, so they're real short, a few pages, and they'll describe uh, uh, Wormwood and, and Screwtape will go back and forth writing letters about, their, about Wormwood's subject. Wormwood's subject is this uh, man that Wormwood is trying to tempt and, and all this stuff. And so anyway, they'll go back and forth writing letters. Like, for example, one time Wormwood writes to Screwtape that he has a problem, is that his subject has discovered that he is prideful. And then Screwtape writes back and says, that is indeed a problem because we need our subjects to be prideful. There's a whole lot of work we can do with prideful subjects. So this is a problem. Here's what you can do to deal with this awful discovery he's made. Have him become aware of his own humility so that he would take pride in that and begin to notice how prideful others are and that they aren't humble like he is. So make him prideful of his own humility, which is just so brilliant. It's just like, so the, the idea of seeing something from our adversary's viewpoint can be helpful, right? Or at least it is for me. It helps us obey 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. Now, here's why I bring this up. It's not written explicitly in the first six chapters in Acts, but I think you could, you could perhaps, and this is maybe conjecture, but you can perhaps discern the hand of our adversary, Satan, throughout these first six chapters. First, we see the apostles being persecuted and thrown in jail. And perhaps our adversary, the devil, thought that beatings and imprisonment would slow down the advancement of the gospel. But what we saw was that persecution did not work. It only emboldened them more. And then second... We see this new community that's so generous to one another become infected with pretense and hypocrisy. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, Daniel uh, taught about Ananias and Sapphira. They kind of lied about how much they were giving. And there was going to be this, what, what, and, and God wiped them out. If you know the story, God took care of that. Here's what could have happened there. There could have been this kind of keeping up with the Joneses type spirituality, which if you've been in Christian circles long enough, Nobody means to do this, but from time to time, something is seen as the spiritual thing to do. And people begin to kind of flock towards that. And it becomes almost this keeping up with the Joneses type mentality over some Christian discipline or over some good, sweet thing. And so anyway, that didn't work. That didn't work because God wouldn't let it work. Now, perhaps Satan thought he could transform this Christian community uh, by, by, by doing these things. But, but that didn't work. And so maybe he changed his strategy. So he tried persecution. He tried to kind of infect the, the body with his hypocrisy. 
And maybe Satan thought, you know what? I can't distract them with something evil. I should try something good. And so perhaps our adversary said, you know what we're going to do? We we need to get their eye off the ball. We need them to quit preaching the gospel. Let's distract them with something close to God's heart. Caring for the widows. That, That might work. And actually, it did for a bit. And look, the reason why is caring for widows is really, really good. In Exodus, Deuteronomy, James, I can mention a lot of other uh, books, tell us about God's heart for the widow. This is a cause and a people that God cares deeply about. And so Peter and the apostles go to work serving the widows. And in that, they neglect preaching the gospel, the ministry of the word. Now, this is where it can get tricky in a church where perhaps a, a false dichotomy could arise. Like, like, should we preach the gospel or should we care for widows? Should we, should we try to do evangelism or sh- should we try to, to serve our community and do good? But, but obviously this is not an either or situation. This is like a, a football team saying, hey, should we do offense or defense? Which one? Like, you do both, you know? So, so the issue of the church serving the widows, the orphans, the poor, or preaching the gospel is not a choice the church has to make. It's more of a question of who and how. It's like in football, you have an offense and defense, different positions on both sides of the ball. And like football, these positions can be quite different and they call for different sets of abilities and skills. And a church must operate this way. There's going to be different roles that need and call for different skills and gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul compared the church to a body, different parts of a body working in different ways, doing different things. We read this in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would, the, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in one body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. A body has a lot of different parts. And we shouldn't be bothered with an eye that can't hear or with an ear that can't see. For a body to function well, a lot of different parts need to work together. And it is the same way with the church. A lot of different parts need to be working together. And when that doesn't happen, two things tend to happen. One, complaining. And two, mission drift. So first, let's talk about complaining. Complaining isn't always a bad thing. There were widows being overlooked that needed to be made known and addressed. But there is a type of complaining that is not good. It's it's not productive. And it's a type of complaining that we see with Israel in the wilderness with Moses. It's a type of complaining that has no hope in God, but but instead believes the worst about God. Like they they said in the wilderness, he just brought us out there to, to the desert to kill us. It was better to be in Egypt as slaves. Or some of you might feel it sometimes. I feel like God is picking on me. But there is another type of complaint that is just acknowledging problems. There are widows being overlooked. 
And identifying problems is the first step to solving problems. A good problem well-defined can capture our imagination and put us to doing good, productive work and making needed changes. But if the people in the church see themselves as observers, like, like we're going to see fans in the, in the stands in, uh, at state games that think they know better than the coaches and they just criticize them up and down while making no contribution, then the church is going to struggle deeply. Now, to be fair, the football coaches don't want the fans coming onto the field and giving them advice and getting involved. That'd be a disaster. But that's not how the church works. The church is the football team with different roles and positions. And so how ridiculous would it be if one of the players, like in their uniform, got up and went and sat in the stands and started complaining about the team, started pointing out what the players are or are not doing? You'd be like, that's ridiculous. You should be one of the ones solving the problems. And so when a church becomes like that, there's big problems. And if a church doesn't have a lot of people doing a lot of different things, there's going to be a lot of complaining. I'm just going to say that again. If Redeemer Church doesn't have a lot of people doing a lot of different things, there's going to be a lot of complaining. Now, the other consequence that a church might have uh, with, with this is, is that uh, there, you might find mission drift occurring. Peter had become preoccupied with serving the widows. A worthy cause for sure, but not his calling. He, he had drifted away from the task that Jesus had given him. And he said it was not right for him to neglect preaching and praying for serving tables. So he told the church, choose, uh, choose from among themselves seven men to take over. And most believe this is the institution or this is the, the, the beginning of the uh, office of deacon. And you should all know uh, that there are two offices in the church, uh, elder and deacon. The elders are responsible for teaching, shepherding and oversight, and the deacons are more focused on service. Uh, some churches, they just have deacons as kind of, kind of serve as elders. I don't think that's what the scriptures teach. We have elders who are, who are committed to teaching, oversight, shepherding the church, and deacons are more focused on serving. doesn't mean a deacon can't ever teach or that an uh, elder shouldn't serve, obviously, but as far as what they are focused on. Uh, Matt Smethurst defined the role of deacon this way. He said, deacons are assistants to the elders who do so in three broad ways. First, they spot and meet tangible needs. Second, they protect and promote church unity. And third, they serve and support the ministry of the word. So in this situation in Acts 6, a deacon would do well to notice three things. One, we have some widows being overlooked, and that's a problem. Two, this overlooking of the Greek widows, this can cause division between the Greek widows and the Hebrew widows. And third, Peter, in, in, in trying to solve this problem that is close to God's heart, Peter, who is called to make disciples to preach the gospel, Peter is neglecting preaching and prayer to care for the widows. So a deacon, while meeting practical needs, unleashes the preaching of the gospel. And what do we see happen after they appointed these seven deacons? Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many priests became obedient to the faith. So their call to serve the widows was actually serving the word, serving the gospel to go out. 
So may God help Redeemer Church to be a place that does not drift from its mission to make disciples and proclaim the gospel. But may we be rich in good works, meeting real needs, and as a result, see the word of God, the gospel increase, and the number of disciples multiply. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there is a sense where the church is a taste of heaven on earth. And would you help us to be more and more so? Would you help us to proclaim the gospel and to be rich in good works? We read in Titus that you saved a people for your own possession to be zealous for good works. We have your, you've given us your spirit uh, and you've given us eyes and ears to see and know things that are not right uh, where we need to serve and help. Uh, especially one another, uh, but even outside uh, this church body. So would you help us to do that? Would you help us to serve those within the church? Would you help us to serve those outside the church? Uh, But above all, would you have the gospel uh, go out and would you have the number of disciples multiply? And Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.